Thanks, guys. That was, uh, that was great. What are you afraid of? I, I mean, really. Because the truth is, almost everything that exists has somebody out there somewhere who's afraid of it. Dr. Stuart Anderson is the former director of neuroscience and neurological research at um, Cornell University, and he began a web-based project years ago asking people to submit lists of their fears, just, just list things that you're afraid of. And one of the most unusual lists he received was from a young woman in Connecticut. She says, um, you asked for it. Be ready. I fear a lot. Here's a list of the things I fear. <clears throat> Children, dolls, clowns, puppets, stuffed animals, toilets, tubs, drains, things behind shower curtains, cabinets, sinks, mirrors, closets, beds, something that could be under my bed, corners, behind doors, behind objects in general, uh, under objects, especially beds, dressers, tables, desks, and the like, being near, in, or around tall buildings, windows, being in a lighted room when it's dark outside, Garages, attics, basements, pincher bugs, being infested with intestinal worms, being suffocated, being buried alive, touching random people or having them touch me, eating food other people have directly touched, deep water, big fish, the possibility there might be a fish in the water, tight spaces, touching dead insects, touching insect guts, fluid, or anything else that comes out of them, touching the dismembered limb, head, or chunk of an insect. Cats, crickets, grasshoppers, ladybugs, silence in which I might hear something coming to kill me. Cracks, pipes, under decks, bees, wasps, and other stinging insects. Going to bed, being asleep because something could get me without my knowing it. Touching sunlight after being in darkness for a prolonged period of time. Beards, thunderstorms, mites, ticks, flying in an airplane. Well, really just airplanes in general. Crossing the street, meeting people. Guns and bullets, dentists, doctors, termites, lakes, and other bodies of water being stared at. The smell of a hospital, dentist office, or other clinic area. Small creatures being under, near, around, or behind things where they could grab my foot or ankle. Being on my computer without being connected to the internet. Roofs, inanimate objects attacking me, having things in my hair, ants crawling on me, touching people's knees, touching people's elbows, basically touching people's joints and just touching people in general. Talking in public, touching styrofoam when it's touching cardboard and the sound that makes. Long, long body hair on men. <laughs> my cup glass drinking container being contaminated if I see a spot on it I can't use it even after it's been washed something living in my bathroom things crawling on the ceiling I think that's all it's truly a wonder I'm not constantly curled up in a tiny ball rocking back and forth scared out of my mind I suck it on suck it up and carry on in spite of some of these but just writing this makes me shaky Oh, I just thought of some more. Drowning, getting cut by cards, people standing behind me, going blind, being attacked by someone, and werewolves. Okay, I'm done now. Wow. This morning we're continuing to talk about hope. And the question we're addressing this morning is, when my fears are out of control, 
Where can I find hope? I love the Psalms in the Bible, in the Old Testament. I love the Psalms because almost any human emotion you can think of, there's a Psalm for that. And it makes sense when you think about it because the Psalms are songs. They were the, the Psalms, the words of the Psalms are song lyrics. And just like music today reflects all kind of, of human emotion, so did the Psalms back in the day. There are Psalms written when people were happy and when they were sad. There are Psalms that were uh, written when people were in love and when they were forsaken. Psalms written when people were victorious and others that were written when they were defeated. Some psalms were written when people were celebrating. Other psalms were written when they were mourning. And some psalms were written when they were confident and brave. And other psalms were written when they were scared to death, when they were afraid. If you've got your Bible this morning, turn over to Psalm 55. In Psalm 55, David, and yes, it's, it's that David, the boy who killed the giant, grew up to become a mighty warrior, went on to become the king of Israel. In Psalm 55, he's talking about some of his fears. And he's praying. It's a prayer, Psalm 55 is. And, and he's sharing those fears with God. And listen to what he says in, in Psalm 55, verses 1 through 8. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my cry for help. Please listen and answer me, for I am overwhelmed by my troubles. My enemies shout at me, making loud and wicked threats. They bring trouble on me and angrily hunt me down. My heart pounds in my chest. The terror of death assaults me. Fear and trembling overwhelm me, and I can't stop shaking. Oh, that I had wings like a dove. Then I would fly away and rest. I would fly far away to the quiet of the wilderness. How quickly I would escape far from this wild storm of hatred. That's his description. He's overwhelmed. His heart pounds in his chest. He can't stop shaking. He's terrified of dying. He's afraid. You ever been there? Some folks in this room are there right now. What are you afraid of? Really? I mean, we got events going on in our world. We got military action in Libya. We got war and revolution in countless places around the world. Earthquakes and tsunamis and nuclear threats. But you know what? I'll bet for most of us it's something a little closer to home. Something a little more personal. I think some of us are afraid because we're in a relationship that's off track. And we know it's off track. We don't know how to get it back on track. We're trying everything we know how to do. Some of us are afraid because of the economy and how it's affecting our finances. I mean, the, the price of gas and the price of milk. 
Some of us are afraid because the doctors told us something that has terrified us. David was the slayer of giants. The mighty warrior king. A popular song sung about him in his day said he has slain his tens of thousands. And now he is so afraid that all he wants to do is fly away. All he wants to do is get away. All he wants to do is flee anywhere, anywhere but here. But just a few verses later, David doesn't just describe his fears for us. He doesn't just give us a description. He gives us a prescription, an antidote for fear, if you, if you want to call it that. Look down in verse 16. When he says, but I will call on God, and the Lord will rescue me. Morning, noon, and night, I cry out in my distress, and the Lord hears my voice. Slip down to verse 22. Give your burdens to the Lord, and he will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall. Hey, our list of fears may be twice as long as that woman in Connecticut. And our fears may have us trembling and shaking and overwhelmed and our heart, heart pounding in our chest. But I want you to hear me this morning. There is hope. There's hope. God can bring hope into our hopeless, fear-filled situations. There's hope. The classic dictionary definition of fear is a feeling of agitation or anxiety caused by the presence or the imminence of danger. And in the New Testament, there's, a, there's two different words that are used for fear. It covers two distinct ideas. There's eulabea. Um, that means a reverence or a respect. And then there's phobos. That means incapacitating, strangling, terror or fear. We get our English word phobia from that word, phobos. And there are over 500 fears registered with the American Medical Association as being legitimate phobias. Things like uh, cyberphobia, fear of computers. We got, hey, we got some folks raising their hand right now. That's me. Lunophobia, fear of the moon. Man, last night was just terrible for people that have that fear, wasn't it? The moon was closer than it had been in 19 years. It appeared huge, you know, when it came up on the horizon. There's astrophobia. That's the fear of lightning. Not to be confused with astrophobia, which is the fear of driving a, a big, clunky, uncool minivan. Um, <laughs> There's, there's chromatophobia, which is the fear of money. I, I'm not afraid of money. I think money's afraid of me, I, <laughs> near as I can tell. Eritophobia, fear of the color red. Uh, Triscodecophobia, fear of the number 13. Palatophobia, fear of baldness, and don't you even. 
I even warned him, didn't I? And then phobophobia, the fear of fear. But the most common fear of Americans is glossophobia, the fear of public speaking. (laughs) About 40% of Americans report having an irrational fear at the thought of having to stand up in front of a crowd and speak. Jerry Seinfeld said it best. He said, that means that at a funeral, most people would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. There's a lot of fears out there. And the truth is, some fear is good for us. Healthy fear protects us. In the early 30s, our our nation was struggling with the Great Depression. And to say that times were tough is an understatement. Today is a picnic, a walk in the park compared to what times were then. Employment shot up by 600%. At one time, between 25 and 30% of Americans were unemployed. Industrial production dropped by half overnight. Overnight, foreign trade was virtually eliminated, dropped to almost zero. And on March the 3rd, 1933, the president of the United States, Franklin Roosevelt, went on the radio to make a speech to try to calm people down, to try to to prevent panic from just breaking out. And he said this, first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. It became one of his most famous quotes. But it's not true. It's not completely true. Gavin De Becker is a renowned expert on violence and violent situations, violent people. And he wrote a book called The Gift of Fear, in which he says that, that people often experience a sense of fear or dread right before a violent situation occurs, right before someone erupts into violence. He said it's, it's innate part of us. It's just a a sense of unease, a a, a feeling of fear, and we don't exactly know why. He says one of two things can happen uh, in in that. If you're interested in this at all, you really ought to get your hands on this book. He talks about, you remember when the man shot up the McDonald's out in California, killed nine people? He has, Gavin DeBecker has interviewed a man who was there with his family who saw the gentleman come in, the, the man come in who who eventually shot up the restaurant, and he said, I knew when he came in that I felt a fear. I couldn't put my finger on why, but I told my wife, gather up our stuff, we're leaving. And they left. Ninety seconds later, the man began open fire on the restaurant. DeBecker says it's, it's part of who we are. Now, he comes at that from an evolutionary point of view. i tell you what I think. I think it's God-given. I think it's a God-given warning system. It's that fear of getting hit by a car that makes us look both ways before we cross the street. It's that that fear of getting bitten that makes us afraid of snakes. I hate snakes. I am, to me, the only good snake is a dead snake. I don't care, green, garden, black, I don't care. I don't try to remember red touching yellow will kill a fella. If it's a snake, give me a hoe. (laughs) A a snake is Satan's hand puppet as far as I'm concerned. There's nothing good about a snake. You know where that comes from? It comes from an innate fear. God-given fear. I can't identify every kind of snake. I can't. 
tell. I, I don't have, when I see a snake, I don't have time to go, now is this a poisonous snake or a non-poisonous snake? I'll ask the questions later. See, I killed this little garter snake. You see that? Oh, oh like it's cute. I'm talking about a snake, folks, not a Webkins. Healthy fear in the body rele releases adrenaline. And adrenaline prepares us. It's that fight or flight kind of preparation. We can either, it either prepares us to run, to avoid this thing that's caused fear to rise up in us, or to fight it. So healthy fear can protect us. But that's not the kind of fear we're talking about today. We're talking about harmful fear that paralyzes us. Harmful fear can paralyze us. The damaging kind of fear that causes us to freeze up like a deer caught in headlights and not know which way to go, what to do. Julius Caesar was one of the most powerful leaders in the world in his day, and he was so afraid of thunder that he hid under his bed during storms. Peter the Great, a feared warrior, a Russian czar, was afraid of bridges and refused to cross them. He lost battles in which thousands of men were killed because he would not cross a bridge. Irrational fear. Many of us have some of that kind of fear. Harmful, irrational fear that keeps us from enjoying life. Fear that paralyzes us emotionally. Fear that, that renders us incapable of functioning. Incapable of making decisions. Now, most of you know I, I read a lot. And I read a, a wide variety of things. And, and I'll tell you right off the bat that this uh, may be too intellectual for some of you. And if you want to know which ones I think it may be too intellectual for, I'll be happy to share that with you after church. Um, but I came across a powerful quote about how fear can paralyze a person. And it was written by, uh, the author has a doctorate degree. His name is Dr. Seuss. And the, the academic thesis is called The Zode in the Road. Did I ever tell you about the young Zode who came to two signs at a fork in the road? One said to place one and the other place two. So the Zode had to make up his mind what to do. Well, the Zode scratched his head and his chin and his pants, and he said to himself, now I'll be taking a chance. If I go to place one, that place may be hot. How do I know if I'll like it or not? On the other hand, though, I'll feel such a fool if I go to place two and find it's too cool. And for 36 hours and one half, that Zode made starts and made stops at that fork in the road, saying, don't take a chance. You may not be right. Then he got an idea that was wonderfully bright. Play safe, cried the Zode. I'll play safe. I'm no dunce. I'll simply start off to both places at once. And that's how the Zode, who would not take a chance, got no place at all with a split in his pants. The first thing we have to do when we confront our fear is determine, is this healthy fear or is this harmful fear? Is this fear that can protect me or is this fear that is paralyzing me? Making me do irrational things, causing me not to be able to make decisions. I want you to know God can help us overcome that kind of fear. That's the whole point of Psalm 55. I mean, David's talking about these things that make him afraid. And then he gives us some direction for overcoming that fear. 
And I want us to make it personal. So I want to talk about three things David tells us. And I'm going to put them all in the first person. Here's, here's the first thing David says to us. When I'm afraid of bad people, I need to seek God's strength. When I'm afraid of bad people, I need to seek God's strength. David had some bad people after him. People who were causing him to be afraid. And again in verse 3, he says, My enemies shout at me, making loud and wicked threats. They bring trouble on me. They angrily hunt me down. David knew all about big bad people, didn't he? Just barely a teenager when he faced up to nine foot tall Goliath. And if you're familiar with that story, you may remember that before David went out to meet Goliath, King Saul said, you can't go out there without armor. Here, put mine on. And that was created, that armor was made for a, for a grown man. David is a teenager, barely a teenager. And of course, obviously it doesn't fit. It's too big, it's too heavy. So David said, no, I'm just going. And he went out with no physical protection. He went out to face Goliath depending on God's strength and God's protection. And he says to Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, verse 45, You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. That's all I got. Anybody remember a Christian singer named Carmen? Remember Carmen? He had a song about that battle. He said, little David must have just been in his teens when he faced Goliath of the Philistines. He was armed with just a slingshot and some stones. Well, Goliath was a giant and strong as a tank, and when he looked at men, their stomachs sank, and there stood little David all alone. But with faith in God, he flung that stone, and much to their surprise, he nailed that monster with a stone that landed right between his eyes. Then he decapitated his fallen foe to make sure that he was dead and show everyone that he was someone who really knew how to get ahead. Hey, Carmen wrote it. I just quoted it. 4,000 years later, there are still mean, big, bad people in this world. We all face giant fears. But we don't have to be afraid. We can come against our fear in the name of the Lord God Almighty. David tells us how he faced that kind of fear in, in Psalm 55, verse 17. I read it just a moment ago. He said, morning, noon, and night, I cry out in my distress, and the Lord hears my voice. There was, just, there was part of David's relationship with God that he talked with him on a regular basis. But now, I, I want us to see this because I, I find this fascinating. The New Living Translation says, I cry out in distress. But the original language, the words there mean to growl, to complain, and to rage. Isn't that something? That's huge, folks. That means that David could tell God anything. And I'm sure there were times when he approached God reverently and, and worshipfully and quietly. But there were other times when he says, I went into God's presence crying out, complaining, raging, growling. You know what that means? 
That means that we can be real with God. We can be real with Him. We can tell Him exactly what's going on in here and in here. We can tell Him how we feel without having to worry that He'll get angry with us or kick us out of the prayer closet. But don't miss this. That kind of intimacy only develops through spending consistent, regular time in prayer. David said, morning, noon, and night. I'm praying. Morning, noon, and night. Hey, when trouble came, he didn't have to tiptoe into God's presence and reintroduce himself. Hi, God. Um, I'm Scott. I know we haven't talked lately. Um, God didn't have to say, no, who are you again? I knew him. Purposeful, intentional, consistent time with God every day will position us for victory over our giant fears. Can I just say this? People ask me from time to time about fearing God. Aren't we supposed to fear God? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Oh, yeah, it absolutely is. And we are supposed to fear God. But that doesn't mean we're supposed to be afraid of Him. It means we respect Him. It means we, we, we reverence Him. You know, an electrician has a healthy fear of electricity because he knows if it's not handled properly, it can kill him. But, he does, but, but no electrician you ever know, have ever known, runs away from electricity. He knows it needs to be handled properly. The proper respect for God will never keep us away from Him. will never cause us to shy away from His presence. It's the most natural thing in the world to be scared. And the clearest evidence that God's grace is at work in our hearts is when we don't get afraid. When we don't panic. Because the truth is, when we have the proper fear of God, we don't have to be afraid of anything else. And then David says, when I'm afraid of the future, I need to give my burdens to God. Verse 2, Psalm 55, verse 2, David says, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I'm, I'm overwhelmed. And you know what? If we will let our minds go sometimes, we let our, our mind run wild, we can very quickly become overrun with thoughts of the bad things that could happen, that might happen. I mean, every one of us here knows, when we're honest, that most of the things we worry about never happen. But it's easy for unease in our spirit, for fear to come up in our spirit as we dwell on things and we let our minds go to places that we don't have to go. God doesn't bring that kind of fear into our life. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. God is not the author of our runaway fears. You know who is? The devil. 
The devil works in panicked, overwhelming fear like other artists work in oils or, or, or watercolors. He knows if he can make us afraid, he can render us ineffective. He knows if he can make us afraid, he can shut us down. But God loves us so much that he wants to take on the burden of our fear. He wants to take on our burdens. Verse 22, David wrote, Give your burdens to the Lord and He will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall. When we have worries and fears about the future, we can throw all of that onto God's shoulders. He's big enough. He's strong enough. We don't have to be afraid because whatever happens, God will take care of us. In the original language, it means to hold up, to support, to make able to endure. Nothing can break his grip. Do you hear me? Nothing can break his grip. That's where our hope comes from. God will never let us go. Never let us go. I used to... to lie awake in the bed worrying about whether God was going to let me go. Whether, boy, I'd blown it this time. I'd gone too far. I'd sinned too much. That's no way to live, folks. There's no freedom in that. There's no liberty in that. But when I understood God would never let me go, that's when I found freedom. Listen to God's promise in Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. I love Billy Graham. He's one of my heroes. And I love when he said, I don't know what the future holds but I know who holds the future. And that's true. And then David says, when I'm afraid of dying, I need to trust God's truth. In, in some of the most vivid language in Scripture, in verse 4, in Psalm 55, verse 4, David writes, the terror of death assaults me. One of my favorite stories is about the preacher who was talking about being prepared to die. And he said, every member of this church is going to die. And a little boy sitting near his front snickered when he said that. And so he, he thought he needed to repeat it a little more forcefully. He said, I said, every member of this church is going to die. And the little boy laughed out loud. And the preacher repeated the statement and he put everything he had into it. He said, I said, every member of this church is going to die. And the little boy just fell over, laughing out loud, as loud as he could. Tears streaming down his face. And the preacher said, young man, how can you laugh at that? And the little boy said, I ain't a member of this church. member of this church or not, we've all got to deal with the prospect of death. Every one of us. 
But believers in Christ, followers of Jesus, do not have to be afraid of death. Paul told the Thessalonians that yes, we, we feel sadness and sorrow when someone close to us dies, but we don't mourn as people who don't have any hope for anything better, anything more than this life. I've had the unhappy assignment of preaching funerals for people that, well, their lives just didn't give any evidence that they were followers of Jesus. And I'll tell you that the, the sorrow and the sense of hopelessness at a funeral like that is, is suffocating. What do you say? How, how do you comfort a family who has no assurance that their loved one is with the Lord? I, if you know how, tell me, because I haven't found a way to do that in the many, many dozens, hundreds, I'd say, of funerals that I've preached down through the years. How different it is to preach the funeral of someone who was a follower of Christ. Yes, there's weeping and there's tears and there's sadness. But we know they're with the Lord. We can truthfully say they're in a better place. I don't understand how anyone can face the prospect of dying without hope. Bertrand Russell, one of the most influential philosophers of the previous century, was not a Christian. In fact, in the 20s, he published a book, Why I Am Not a Christian. But at the end of his life, he was in his late 80s, he was interviewed on television. And the interviewer asked him, what are your expectations when death is obviously so close? And this is what Russell said, I have nothing. I have nothing to hang on to but grim, unyielding despair. Now contrast that. Contrast that statement with words written by Rick Warren when he said, death for the Christian is a transfer, a promotion. It's on to better things. You're not ready to live until you're ready to die. Only a fool would go all through life totally unprepared for something that everyone knows is inevitable. Paul said this in Philippians 1.21. He said, for to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. In other words, in the face of death, a follower of Jesus can't lose. We either live, which means serving Jesus, growing deeper in our relationship with Jesus, or we die, which means going to be with Jesus. David said that the terror of death assaults me. But he also wrote those famous words found in the 23rd Psalm. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid of anything because you are with me. Because you are with me. The answer to fear, any fear, is faith. You are with me. 
Hope is simply faith in the future tense. I love the movie Forrest Gump. I know that surprises you. I watch it when I get lonesome for people who talk like I do. (laughs) But you might remember in that movie, Forrest has a friend, Jenny. He eventually marries her. They have a child together. He calls her my Jenny. But there's a heart-rending scene from when they were children. And Forrest has gone to Jenny's house. And what he does not know is that Jenny's father has been abusing her in horrible ways, every way imaginable. Jenny runs out of the house, running away from her father, grabs Forrest by the hand. They run out in the cornfield to hide. And Jenny drags Forrest down to his knees and she says, Pray with me, Forrest. Dear God, make me a bird so I can fly far, far, far away from here. David felt that way too. So afraid. These things that terrified him so close. And he said, I I wish I had the wings of a dove and I could just fly to some quiet place. Fly to a place where I could rest. Fly to a place away from this storm of hatred. But he goes on to say that the answer isn't found in running from our fears. It's found in running to God. Because of God's love and mercy and kindness and grace, we don't have to flee. We don't have to fight. We can have faith. And faith produces hope that overcomes fear. Bow your heads, please. Close your eyes.